0: Welcome to Prima's podcast. My name is Shonda Ragland. I manage the education programs at the Public Risk Management Association. Today, Stu Brody will discuss integrity, skill, not will. Stu Brody has served prominently in law, politics, and academia. He has appeared before the Supreme Court, written numerous articles on dispute settlement and employee relations. Stu has advised presidential candidates and served as counsel to state government on ethics. He lectures nationally on matters of ethics and integrity. Stu is currently a visiting scholar at the Institute for the Study of Public Ethics at the State University of New York. We will also be joined by Danica Williams, a member of Prima's education team. Danica will moderate the discussion. Enjoy the show.
1: So, Stu, thank you for taking the time to speak with us. To begin, what is your definition of integrity, and how does it differ from ethics
2: or morals? The use of terms like ethics, morals, and integrity are often a trap for for folks because it doesn't really provide any clarity about what we're talking about. Those three words are used often interchangeably, but I think we can obtain some care about the way we conduct our lives actually by being more careful about how we use those words uh, morality just quickly tends to be a sense of right and wrong that's understood conventionally that is it's commonly accepted uh, in a society and often those those values those morals are inconsistent with integrity so you have for instance the uh, the conventional morality in the 60s, and it still persists today, of racial discrimination. Some people think that that is a moral way to proceed, and it was widespread years ago. And integrity would suggest uh, deeper questioning about even accepted morality in a society. So morality is kind of a conventional understanding of what um, right and wrong is, returning a wallet, you know, not lying, uh, certain sexual practices are forbidden and so forth. Integrity is a wider understanding, a more personal understanding of what constitutes your duty in a world, in a complicated world, but a world in which you have duties to people that you know as well as people you don't know. I'll get into that a little bit more. Ethics, for the purposes of this podcast and the the webinars that I'll be giving, is really a body of regulations. I mean, we have, if you go to school, you have an academic code of ethics, a business. In our, in our offices, we have business ethics, code of ethics. Politicians have a code of ethics. They don't often follow it. Uh, well, I should say they don't always follow it, but... That's, that's the way we understand ethics. So I think that's a good way of proceeding uh, with those three words. Morality, then, is a conventional understanding that may not really be just, but that is widespread in a society. Ethics is the embodiment of rules and regulations for which there are penalties. And integrity is the realm of conduct when, uh, lots of people like to say, when nobody's looking when there's no code of conduct telling you exactly what to do, but that you understand what your duty is and you fulfill it. And I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more. Good question and thank you.
1: In a recent Prima blog article, you wrote that integrity can be taught. A lot of people think integrity is something that you either have or you don't. Why do you think it can be taught?
2: I think it has to be taught. I mean, if we take the position that we're either born with something or not and can't change, well, that's uh, a pretty disastrous formula for the conduct of integrity in our society. I think the, and I'll go into how it can be taught, but I think the idea that it's innate is particularly dangerous because when you ask people about integrity and whether they, quote, have it, Everyone has it. So your listeners, I'll ask your listeners, have you, have you ever met anyone who would concede that they don't have integrity? I've asked this question of thousands of people in the course of presentations and nobody would ever concede that they don't have integrity. But all around us we see the breakdown of integrity in practically every walk of life. So there's some kind of disconnect there. To so the idea that that it's innate and can't be taught flows from the idea that we all have it, you know, that we all kind of miraculously got it at birth or through some kind of early education. And that's for all the reasons I just said, somewhat misleading and dangerous because it doesn't allow us to think of ourselves as being educated to better decision-making Integrity ultimately is a technique of decision-making. So it can be taught the same way as management techniques can be taught or how to operate uh, uh, an airplane. It has certain skills that are involved. I'm, I'm sure you're going to ask me about that. And it can be practiced. So there are definable skills that you can get better at like any other skill through practice and when we do that we ultimately achieve better decision-making decision-making is the core of public service so it's so valuable to think about changing the way we make decisions decisions are made so often innately or or i should say instinctively or intuitively because people feel they there we go again have integrity So it follows that any decision you make, because you have integrity, the decision will have integrity. And that's where we get into trouble. People not recognizing that they are making decisions in a way that's not consistent with integrity. And the reason for that illusion is that they feel they have it naturally. So um, yes, it can be taught, it must be taught, and we have to dispel the notion that it's something you're born with and either have or you don't.
1: Since integrity can be taught, then does it follow that integrity can be practiced? And importantly, can someone actually get better at practicing integrity? And what are the essential elements?
2: Okay, so when we talk about practicing integrity, it's a shift from the concept of having integrity. In fact, we could go back to your first question and and actually say that The conventional understanding of integrity is that it's something you have and that the understanding we have about morality, that some people have integrity and others don't and the people that have it act morally. Okay, so what we're going to do is turn that on its head. I would say that 90, 95% of the people who think about integrity would say that It's it's something innate. This goes back to your previous question. But if you change that from the idea that it's something you have to the idea that it's something you practice decision by decision, then the whole thing changes. So that means you don't have integrity as some prized possession that you got at birth or earned very early in life and then you have it forever you exhibit integrity decision by decision, act by act. In one minute, you may act with integrity. The next minute, you may miss the mark. So we start to see integrity as something that is dependent on the decision you make in the moment. And that means you can blow it and then step right back into the ball game like life itself and keep practicing. So the idea of practicing is like any practice, like a doctor's practice or practicing a a musical instrument or uh, the practice of law, you keep getting better by doing the things you know work. Now, what are those things? Well, the practice of integrity consists of understanding, or we could say discerning, detecting, any word that connotes this, this idea of getting to the bottom of what, you owe somebody else. Integrity is essentially the fulfillment of duties that you owe others. Now, this is a complicated concept because people think, well, if I find a wallet, I owe it to that person, you know, to return it. Uh, If I say I'm going to return a book, if I borrow a book, well, then it's, there's an understanding that I'm going to return the book. These are obvious things. So integrity. But Duties are hard to see because sometimes, often, most of the time, they're under the surface, like the tip of an iceberg. You can see the top of it, but you can't see 90% of it. So let me give you an example of a duty that you can't see. For example, our best friend comes into town or is in town, a good friend who works for a big company with an expense account, and that friend takes us out to dinner and insists that his company expense account cover the private dinner okay we don't think of, of ourselves having a duty to anyone it's just a nice thing that a friend will do but think about the implications of what's going on there there's a missed accounting of records There's an inflation of the of the expense account there's an evasion of taxes that results because Otherwise, that money would accrue to the general profit of the company, and it's essentially a breach of a duty of truthfulness, but we're not trained to see it, but that's a duty. There's a duty in getting back to people who expect a a prompt answer to an email. We don't think of that as a duty. We, we, We may feel bad that we're procrastinating, but we don't think of it as a duty. If you give somebody a two-year commitment on a job and then leave, which people do, leave before two years, people do that all the time, that's a breach of the duty because you gave your word. And that's an interesting example because it's not considered immoral to quit a job even if you've given a job commitment. So there's there's the difference there. The conventional understanding is that you can break that promise. That's a permissible promise. But integrity would suggest you have a duty because you gave your word. Another example of a duty that's not dependent on your word but is just arises out of our being in the world is, um, let's say you go to a big city and you see a luxurious suit or handbag at a fraction of the cost. Well. How many people think of it as an act of integrity to decline doing that? I think many would. But the interesting thing about it is that there's a duty underlying that, the duty to uh, refrain from conduct that encourages theft and corruption because usually those, those items are hot. So below the surface of everyday life, there is this vast terrain of duties. Just one more example of that, because this may affect your membership. People in in business and in politics tend to think of loyalty as a duty, and it is. However, it frequently clashes with truthfulness, or competes with truthfulness as a duty. For instance, your boss tells you to do something And you know it's not right. You know it's not good for the public. It's not good for the company. It's not good for the political organization or the state agency that you work for. That's where integrity really gets hard because now you're looking at a couple of duties. The classic example of this is when someone comes up to you. Well, you go up to your boss and your boss says, you know, we're having financial difficulties. We have to lay off people. I really shouldn't be telling you this. You're not going to be laid off, but that friend that you hang around with, a good friend in your department, he's going to be one of them. But you can't say anything. You can't say anything because we need to roll this out in an orderly fashion, and I order you not to say anything because it would be a breach of confidentiality. Okay, fair enough. Your boss tells you. But you also know that your friend is about to put down $100,000 on a down payment for a house and a mortgage that he's never going to be able to afford if he's laid off. So now you have competing duties of loyalty. How do you do that? How do you deal with it? And this is the, I'm not going to get into that now, although maybe people listening will say, well, you've got to give us the answer. Uh, And I, I will in a minute, but it's It's complicated, but it can be done. It must be done. Whenever there's a duty, it must be fulfilled. So going back to the question, sum it all up. Integrity is the fulfillment of duties, and all of them, even when there's more than one. That's the hard part, but that's the beauty of it. That's why it can be taught, because you can be taught how to do that, and by practice, you can get better at it.
0: We hope you found the information you've heard so far useful. I would like to take a moment and invite you to attend our last 2016 Prima Enterprise Risk Management ERM training session in Phoenix, Arizona. The aforementioned training will take place November 29th and 30th. Here are some words from Prima's ERM faculty member, Robin Flint, regarding why risk management professionals should attend Prima's ERM training.
1: An enterprise-wide approach to risk management enables a public entity to consider the potential impact of all types of risk on all of its entities, processes, activities, stakeholders, products, or services. Second, ERM enables a public entity's risk management initiatives to deliver outputs, including compliance with applicable governance requirements, assurance to stakeholders regarding the management of risk, and overall improved decision making. Third, and what I deem as most important, participants will learn how ISO 31000, or ERM, aligns a public entity's risk management strategy with the organization's goals and objectives.
0: To learn more about Prima's ERM training, visit PrimaCentral.org. Now back to Stu and Danica.
1: Self-interest is a factor that undermines integrity, but self-interest is natural. How then can you practice integrity when you have a self-interest?
2: Self-interest is not what it seems. It's, it comes in, in many shapes and sizes we tend to think of self-interest as an overt act of corruption you steal you embezzle some money or you know you bribe a company official abroad or you lie to a constituent those are acts that that are obviously self-interested but it gets more complicated when you get into the, the our everyday lives where we are trying to Uh, Advance our careers. We're trying to. We're trying to do the best for our family, and these are self-interest. Our careers, our our family, making money, being comfortable, and doing what we want. The impulses that guide the routines of our lives. But against this is the backdrop of duty. Let me give you an example of this in the public sphere. Let's say you have a big meeting tomorrow uh, or if you're an elected official a vote and you need to be prepared for that and you you know that to be prepared you're going to have to spend the whole evening preparing reading background documents and so forth but the your daughter has a swim meet that night and you promised her you'd go okay Unless you stay up all night, which, of course, is a possibility, then, and you go to the swim meet, you're not going to be prepared the next day. Now, when I ask that question, people say, well, duty to family comes first. Well, if that's true, then why did you run for office or accept a public responsibility? You may think that attending your daughter's swim meet or uh, having to face the consequences of telling your daughter you're not coming and bre- you know breaching that promise is is, is something you don't want to face. But if you've taken a, a public responsibility, you have to fulfill that. So the self-interest is going to your daughter's swim meet. The duty lies with the truthfulness to the public to be prepared for the vote, to be ready for a meeting. Now some people will protest saying, well, you do have a duty to your family and you did make a promise to your daughter. Well, when you make a, a promise to someone, what do you do if you can't fulfill it? Well, you ask to be released from the promise and that's what we work on in the workshops that I offer. How do you do that? How, how do you face the, the the embarrassment, the difficulty of withdrawing from something? Well, you ask. It's like a a white lie. The self interest in in telling a white lie is, well, I don't want to tell the truth because it's embarrassing. I don't I don't want to reveal that there's something that I got a better offer. Let's say you have uh, a date with someone and um, a better offer comes along. That's simple. Everybody who I've ever met has at some point told a white lie. Well, that's a self interest. So. Imagine, though, if you took the time to figure out how to tell that person, okay, here's what came up. I apologize. I'm asking to be released from my promise. Well, then you've acted with integrity because you've fulfilled the duty by asking to be released from it. And then you can go on with the better offer, the whatever you have. Well, you know, it's the same thing with a daughter. Those of us who are parents have faced this. Something comes up. You don't want to lie to to a, a, a child. Uh, we often do. It's not a good practice. That's the breach of integrity. You ask to be released. And if your daughter doesn't release you from going to the swim meet, well, then you have to stay up all night to fulfill that duty to her and fulfill the the duty to the public. Self interest, as I said, comes in shapes, different shapes and sizes, and people do not want to recognize how self-interest dominates the way they look at things over duty. There's a joke about that. Uh, I don't know if a podcast is appropriate to tell a little joke, but a friend of mine talks about a conversation he had with his father in the old days when they used to go to baseball games and he's, he would say at big, you know, at the big parks that he would ride his bike up to the, up to the ballpark, the stadium, which were not as vast, you know, and magnificent as they are today. We ride rider's bicycle, this is like, you know, years, many years ago, ride his bicycle up to the stadium, leave it there, sneak in, come back, and the bike would be there. And he said, that's integrity. Forgetting that he snuck in, stealing the services of that particular uh, baseball team. So people do that a lot. They don't see it, and it's not just it's it, and it's across the board. Imagine I ask this question often: Are you smarter than a Supreme Court justice? Well, I t- I ask that because the the late uh, Supreme Court Justice Scalia was confronted by reporters on an occasion because he went. Duck hunting with the Vice President of the United States. This was many years ago, and they were friends. But the issue was that there was a case pending before the Supreme Court involving the Vice President. And so the reporter said, "Well, there's another conflict to, to go duck hunting with the with the Vice President. He's a litigant in this case, and you went down on his plane." So Scalia responded, "I really don't see how there's a conflict of interest in that." Well, in other words, he his self-interest in going was so dominant he couldn't see his duty. He might have been the only person in the country who couldn't see that there was a potential conflict of interest in doing that. So this is what happens a lot. We don't see it when it comes to ourselves, our self-interest. There's the famous biblical quotation from uh, Jude, and I think it goes something like this brother, don't tell me that you see a splinter in my eye when you fail to see the rafter in your own. But that's the nature of self-interest. So what the focus on duty does is it eliminates the immediate response or impulse for self-interest, like in the Scalia case or in the case of my friend's father. You stop and you say, what are the duties Owed here. What are the duties that I am required to fulfill, not just as a public servant, but as a human being? And you figure that out by saying, well, what is somebody's reasonable expectation of me? So in the Scalia case, it, the, the reasonable expectation of him as a Supreme Court justice is that he would not create the illusion of a conflict of interest, the appearance of impropriety. He may think his self interest may cause him to think that he's perfectly able to judge that case objectively, but the duty he owes everyone else is to not aggravate that sense of doubt that someone can do that because it is a conflict. And each of us has to do that. In the case of the, of, of emails, an example that we're all besieged with emails, but ask yourself, which of these do I have a duty to respond to by asking which of these people who've sent me an inquiry or request or whatever it is, have a reasonable expectation that I will get back to them and get back to them promptly. And I've advocated this in writing and in, in speeches and people have said, when they do it that way, when they go through their emails that way, suddenly it becomes a lot clearer. Does this person have a reasonable expectation? You could even say, what would I do if I were in that spot? You know, the golden rule kind of thing. Would I expect this person to get back to me? And so duty is the way to overcome self-interest. Self-interest is an impulse. Uh, we all have it. It's uh, it's unconscious in many cases. And what duty does is the, the idea of, of seeing the duty. I was using words like detecting and discerning. Sitting down, even with a piece of paper and a pen or on a computer and saying, what are my responsibilities in this case? What are the expectations of me? And you may find that there's more than one. And we get back to that whole question. So the answer to the layoff question, since I I expect some people are dying to know what the answer is, the answer is you fulfill both duties. You cannot reveal to your friends that there's going to be a layoff, but you can suggest to your friends in conversation with him that this might not be the right time, that what happens if there was something that occurred at work, and then the person says, well, do you know something? And you can't say that you know something. It's not lying. If he's astute enough to pick up, that you are trying to convey something of importance and that you might have the information, then it's something that you, that's something that will help him. Now people will say, well, why be coy? Well, the reason is that integrity requires the fulfillment of duties. And if you start picking one over the other, guess what? You just write back to your self-interest. When I've asked that, that question of my classes at the university, People will say, well, I would defy my boss. Well, it's easy to say, but you might get fired for it. Now, you have a loyalty, a duty. Whether you get fired or not is not the issue. Whether you hold a job or not, that's a self-interest. Okay, Your duty is to adhere to the reasonable requests of your boss. Reasonable expectation, that's your duty. And you can. Do that and still fulfill your duty of truthfulness to your friend by warning him without saying so explicitly. I think folks need to attend the webinar to understand this a little bit more because it sounds counterintuitive and my training is counterintuitive. The idea that integrity is not innate, that it is the function of of a practice, that you can get better at it, that it can be taught that it is dependent on the detection or discernment of duties and the fulfillment of them is unique. But the product of this kind of approach is that you add immeasurably to the quality of your decision-making because it takes it out of the intuitive, takes it out of the impulsive, takes it out of the realm of, of, well, I think this is the right thing, do the right thing. You can see how misleading that is do the right thing. We've been talking for the last 10 minutes about the the fact that there are several right things. There's a competition of duties, there are multiple duties. And I'll close that question by saying that's what faces most of your membership. Constantly the competition of duties in any kind of public position or in any job you're constantly going to be faced with the question of loyalty to a boss or a a political leader and truthfulness to the public. And you need a system to work on that, to resolve that, to balance competing duties can be done. Not easy, but that's why we practice integrity. So that answer was way too long and I'm sorry, I apologize to your listeners, I hope that made sense. Do you have any final question for me?
1: Stu, in closing, How does one know if they really have integrity?
2: Well, you start with understanding that you don't have integrity. It's not something you have. Okay, that's really hard. No one has integrity. You don't possess it. You practice it. And as we've been saying, there's not a person in the world who has blown something, either by lack of information, by impulsiveness, by the nature of their childhood upbringing, by being stressed out that day, and simply made the wrong decision, acted inappropriately, insulted someone wrongly. And as everyone knows, so that means that we all commit breaches of integrity. So it's not something you have. But you know that you're practicing integrity when you're thinking on a daily basis about what is my duty in this situation you're asking yourself that question what is my responsibility you know i've been using the word duty but the word that may actually be more effective is what are the promises i've made in my life am i keeping my promises and it's not just the word your word like what you've said to someone but it's the promises that you owe a public that you never get to see, constituents that you never talk to, the vitality of a government that uh, of which you are one of 300 million. No one may ever see what your solitary act may be, but if you walk up to one of those street vendors we talked about and you say, you know what, I'm not going to buy that suit for $50 instead of 1000 because I am not going to contribute to the deterioration. You know, I am not going to cheat on my taxes. I'm not going to lean on my friends to get a job for my son because he's a county official. Even though it's self-interested and and so compelling to do that, you say there's a greater good that I am going to serve and that I derive my satisfaction in this world by fulfilling all my duties in this world or the promises that I've made and the promises that are implied to my family, to my community, and to my nation. And I think that's a powerful thing for a public servant to have, to see it that way. And then with these tools of balancing duties that I've alluded to, and hope, hopefully I've introduced you to this concept that it can be done, by learning the skills of balancing duties, you can derive immense rewards by your own resourcefulness. And that's the way I think we get meaning out of our jobs. So integrity is not something you have, but something you do. And you know you're practicing it when you're thinking constantly about that and saying, you know what, I've detected all the promises that are implicit here, all the duties I have in this situation, and I figured out how to accommodate them, to balance them. Then you know you're practicing integrity. And as I've said, I think that's a pretty nice place to be.
0: We have reached the end of our podcast. Thanks so much, Stu and Danica. Please visit the Prima website to listen to other Prima podcasts Join upcoming Prima webinars, read Prima blogs, and learn about additional Prima educational resources. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and our very own Prima Talk. Have a wonderful day.